0: Before we begin our study today, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah, amen. Today has been such a special Time as we have received new members and welcomed new members into the congregation, joining a congregation is such an important part of the life of faith. It's, it's a way of saying that this is a place where the Lord wants me to put roots down so that I can be established. It's a way of saying that to the Lord. It's also a way of saying it to yourself and a way of saying it to other people because God wants us to be established. He wants us to put roots down. He wants us to thrive and to have uh, lives that are meaningful and important. That's one of the themes of this week's haftorah reading from Jeremiah. You can turn to Jeremiah chapter 17 if you have your Bibles. Incidentally, do you have a Bible with you? Show it to me if you have one. I've got a Hebrew-English Bible I like. I've got a whole bunch on uh, my iPhone. Many different kinds. I use them both with joy. Jeremiah chapter 17, starting in verse 7, says this. Blessed is the man. And we could say, that the Hebrew could also be read, blessed is the woman, because it's speaking universally. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Adonai will be their security. That man, that woman, will be like a tree planted near water. It spreads out its roots by the river. It does not notice when heat comes. Its foliage is luxuriant. It's not anxious in a year of drought, but keeps on yielding fruit. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. It'll be like a tree planted by the water. You see, the health and well-being of of trees is connected to the, the nourishment that they take up through their roots. They may look good on the top, but if the roots aren't healthy and thriving, they won't be doing well. Same thing is true for tomato plants. Same thing is true for human beings. It's not just the outward expression. There's something about our rootedness that determines the life that we have and the life that comes forth from us. And so we're compared to trees planted near water. Now I like our water, don't you? It's it's beautiful water. The tree doesn't notice when the heat comes. Now all of us who live in Florida, we can say, we notice when the heat comes. (laughs) As it's been pushing the 90s here in early May, we're sweating. I worked out in the noon sun yesterday, taking care of a few things that needed attention. I worked for about an hour and it took another hour, rehydrating, just getting my strength renewed after that. When, when the sun is beating down on you and it's hot, you notice here in Florida, you can wither. Isn't it true? We can just wilt. Same for trees, same for growing things. And in fact, we learn in Florida that you have to be careful not to water your grass too frequently and superficially. A little water every day can create shallow root systems And then if you don't get water, you know what happens. Everything just dies. Better to water deeply. And the same for trees. Better to water deeply so that the roots grow deep and grow well. Same thing for people. Better to have a deep root system and a healthy root system. And one of the ways you do it is you get planted, you stay planted, and you draw life from where you're planted. Now, it's natural. It's natural for those who are trusting in the Lord to do well, even in adversity. Let's read what Psalm 92 says, because it's building on the same imagery. Psalm 92, starting in verse 12, says, "'The righteous will flourish like a palm tree. "'They'll grow like a cedar of Lebanon, Planted where? In the house of the Lord. Verse 13. Planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age. That's good news. They will, still, they will stay fresh and green, proclaiming the Lord is upright. He's my rock and there's no wickedness in him. So this is about those who are counted as the righteous of the Lord. Who are these people? The righteous of the Lord are those who God makes righteous. They're the ones who follow in the footsteps of Abraham. Do you remember what the scripture says about Abraham? Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham trusted the Lord and it was counted to him as righteousness. Your faith and your faithfulness is an essential part of your relationship with God. The scriptures say that the ones who bring pleasure to the Lord because they trust in him also live faithfully before him. And they say this, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith. Now, the idea is not just believing in a doctrine or a theory or an abstract principle. It's faith that trusts God, and it's faith that produces faithfulness to God. So it's one thing to say, I believe there is a God. Yeshua once casually and provocatively said, well, even demons know there's a God. The question is, not do we say there is a God, but do we live in a way that reflects faithfulness to the God who we proclaim. Without faith and faithfulness, it is not possible to please the Lord. So those who are considered just and righteous are the ones who live by faith. How many of you have heard this verse before? The the just will live by faith. And when it's speaking of the just. It's talking about those who are justified by God and considered righteous by God. Not righteous in themselves. This is so important. It's not that they become so righteous that God says, wow! Look at you! You're so righteous. I couldn't imagine. But now you're one of the righteous ones. No, it's the Lord saying, I see That you're trusting me and i see that you're living with faithfulness towards me and i count your trust and your faithfulness as righteousness i give it to you i treat you as if you were righteous even though your righteousness really comes from me that's what the lord is saying And so we could translate that idea as this. Those who are just and righteous will live by their faith and their faithfulness. Again, it's not enough just to believe or to give mental assent to something. It should be reflected in our lifestyle, in in our day-to-day living. Do you remember Yeshua told a story about two people who were building? One built his house on sand, the other one built his house on rock. Now, the way he told the story was this. He said, the one who hears my words and puts them into practice, this is the one who builds his house on rock. And when the storm comes, say, when the storm, when the storm, not if the storm, how many of you can verify that the storm comes? It's not just one storm that comes. When the storm comes and beats against that house, it will remain standing. Now another one builds his house on sand. This is the one who hears, Yeshua said, hears my words but doesn't put them into practice, doesn't do them. He's like a naive person or a foolish person who builds his house on sand and when the storm comes, say that with me, when the storm comes and beats against that house, it will not stand. And to help you understand that, think about the beach here in Florida, and try to remember a time when you were at the beach, maybe one of your kids was building a sand castle, and they did not take into account the rising tide, the waves, and their distance from the sea. Have you ever seen a kid who's so proud of the house they built in that sand? I mean, it's made of sand, but it's like, oh, mom, dad, look, look. My poor mother had six kids. And all of them had the habit of saying, mom, look. And we would call to her until she looked. Sometimes, you know, she'd be working, and she'd say, I'm looking, I'm looking. And we will say, no, you're not, look. We wanted her to see. But if you've had a kid who built that house, that sandcastle, and they say, look, look, and you're admiring it, and they're admiring it, and then some rogue wave comes and crashes against that house, and they look at their work. I've I've seen 10-year-old boys burst into tears. (laughs) What happened? (laughs) All is gone. maybe you were that 10-year-old. You've had that experience. Yeshua says, "When, when we hear his words, but we don't put them into practice, we're like the person who builds their house on sand. And when the waves come, when the storm comes and beats against that house, kaput. It's gone. So the key is not just hearing, but it's hearing and doing, it's putting into practice what Yeshua says. It's having the kind of relationship that not only trusts God, but is counted by God as faithful because we do what he says. To say that we love him and know him is one thing, but to put into practice the things that he has to say, this is the key for us. So this passage in Psalm 92, like the passage in Jeremiah 17, are talking about disciples of the Lord who are planted and growing. And the question is, where are they planted? Psalm 92 says it so clearly, in the house of the Lord. And each congregation that's part of the body of Messiah is a little sanctuary, a little house of the Lord. This is a great understanding that each of us needs to have. We are not planted in some abstraction. We're planted in the midst of real people. Together, we're planted. So today, as we've been receiving new members, we're saying to the Lord altogether, together, we trust you, Lord. We want to live faithfully with you. We want to be planted in the house of the Lord ourselves. We want to grow roots. This is where we want to grow up. This is where we want to bear fruit. Now I think about this congregation, I think it's a beautiful congregation. Look around, you'll see people who are beautiful. What makes us beautiful is not how we dress or how pretty the world might think we are, but what's inside of us. What really makes us beautiful is that we honor the Lord together. That we join together in order to become a holy place for the Lord, both individually and corporately as a congregation. This is a place where the Lord can dwell. He said, build for me a sanctuary so that I can dwell with you. This is a place where the Lord can be made visible through the way we live and the way we love each other. Now I can tell you wonderful congregations don't happen accidentally. They're the result of many people who intentionally join together and embrace the life of faith. Each person who serves in the ministry of this congregation helps make it both functional and beautiful. And I want to commend our new members for their service in the congregation. I want to commend those who have been serving in the congregation as well. Your service to God is so important. You remember that word that God gave Moses to tell Pharaoh, let my people go so that they can serve me. The purpose of our freedom is so that we can have real life by serving God and serving together. It's a wonderful thing. And it takes time, it takes energy, it takes commitment, it takes perseverance. It's it's like marriage in that respect. Yesterday I was talking to a salesman and I told him that Sandy and I were about to go away for a few weeks uh, because we we do around our anniversary. And I said, it's our 42nd anniversary in just a few days. And he looked at me like I maybe was from another planet. (laughs) Nice guy. But he said, wow, that takes a lot of patience. And I said, actually, we're in love. And he said, after 42 years? <laughs> and I said, yeah, we're like newlyweds. We like being together. If you have a valuable relationship, you give time to it. Anything that's important to you, even a hobby, requires time, right? Right? And so Sandy and I take time around our anniversary so that we can be together without you guys. <laughs> Every time I say that, if she were here, she would be, I'd be like, don't say that. Because <laughs> she I, she's much more proper than I am. <laughs> but really, you need time. You need time to invest in a relationship, to keep it fresh, to, to renew it, to restore it. A time where you can sit together and make googly eyes at each other, talk to each other, walk hand in hand, not be distracted by other people and other things. One thing I really like when I've got time alone with Sandy is to have nothing scheduled. People say, well, what are your plans? And I tell them, my plan is to do nothing except what we end up doing. I don't want to have to be somewhere because I have to be somewhere every day, all the time. My life is, you know, I'm sure you can relate to that. Not to have demands on time, but to be able to just freely spend time together is such a wonderful thing. But when I said this to to the sales guy, he looked at me, you know, like, I thought you were like an earthling but maybe you're from another planet. (laughs) At least that's how I interpreted his expression. But I want to tell you this. If you have a good marriage, tell people about it. They need to hear. It's not not so common as you might think. It takes effort. It takes commitment. And if if you're giving commitment and you go through the ups and downs, and everybody has ups and downs. You understand that. Everybody has challenges. Everybody has difficulties. No one's exempt. But if, if you're honoring your marriage and honoring the Lord, tell people that you really love your spouse. Tell them that you're, you're really uh, happy to be married to the person that you are married to. Well, in the same way, if you're serving in the congregation and you're bearing fruit, Be happy about it and tell other people. Tell others, you know, what a great opportunity. God has really caused me to grow and to thrive uh, because I'm in the congregation. You see, what makes a congregation healthy is that we're faithfully serving the Lord together. And each person does her part. Each person does his part. And together, we're making the congregation healthy and we're making it full of life and we're serving with excellence and with faith. Those who join the congregation are saying, count me in. I want to be part of this community. And they're also saying, count on me. I want to stand shoulder to shoulder together with you. I want to do my part. Count me in, count on me. That's how we get planted. That's how we put down roots. That's how we become fruitful together. Now I want to think for a moment about what makes a messianic synagogue distinctive by looking at a few aspects. This is a place where Jewish people can thrive who love the God of Israel and his Messiah. I can tell you there aren't many places where Jewish people who believe in Yeshua can be at home. Because either their Jewishness will be at a place or their faith in Messiah will be out of place. But in a Messianic synagogue, they both fit in. We have three loves that we combine here, love of God, love of the people Israel, and love of the Jewish Messiah. Love of God is foundational. Love of the Jewish people goes with it. How can we love the God of Israel if we don't care about Israel? And we love the Jewish Messiah. And this is a place where these loves come together beautifully. But there's another aspect that's just as important. This is a place where Jewish people and people from any other nation, any other ethnic group, any other people group can be joined together. And we can form a community together. What joins us? Well, what joins us is that we share these three loves. The love of God, the love of the people Israel and the love of the Jewish Messiah. But there's a fourth love that joins us that I want to make clear. It's a love for people from any background who want to be with the Jewish people as we express our love for the God of Israel and his Messiah. So it's important to acknowledge that we're a synagogue, but we're, we're distinctive in this way. We're a synagogue for the Jewish people, and for all the nations of the world that want to be together with the Jews. That's very important. Isaiah and Yeshua both said about God's house, it's a house of prayer for all nations. Because God has a love for all nations. Now this is a part of this week's Haftorah reading from Jeremiah chapter 16. So we'll go back a chapter, Jeremiah 16, and just look at two verses. Verses 19 and 20. Jeremiah 16, 19. Adonai, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in time of trouble. Do you get it? In time of trouble. When the storm comes. My refuge. Now this is in the Haftor portion this week. And this next statement is so important to all of us in a Messianic synagogue, but it's important to the Jewish people worldwide, even if it's under um, emphasized. It says, the nations will come to you, Lord. The nations. From the ends of the earth saying, our ancestors inherited nothing but lies, feudal idols, completely useless. Can a person make himself gods? In fact, they aren't gods at all. The nations will come to the God of Israel from all over the world. And look around at this congregation. You see people from all over the place. People from different countries, from different languages, from different ethnic groups and people groups, from, from different uh, socioeconomic groups and educational groups, different financial strata. And what What brings us together is these four loves. The love of God, the love of the people Israel, the love of the Jewish Messiah, and the love of being together Jews and people from all the nations of the world. Now, in in many ways, some Jewish people have, have gotten the idea that we should be in a ghetto, And the reason is we can't trust anyone. We have no true friends. We're on our own. We need to withdraw into a fortress, if you will, because everyone's against us. But the prophet Jeremiah didn't think that way. Now, let's just do a quick check. Jeremiah, was he a Jewish prophet? Yeah, he was. Okay, so we're talking about Jeremiah the Jew, not the bullfrog. <laughs> Jeremiah. <laughs> I can't help these illusions, yeah. You know. Now, he wasn't messianic because he was before the time of Messiah, but he spoke thematically and prophetically about so many things having to do with Messiah. So he's for the Jewish people, but he's also a prophet for the nations of the world, combining those two callings. And he has this understanding that the Jews should not just feel like everybody's an enemy, even though he's ministering during the time leading up to exile, where the the sovereignty of the state of Israel is, is being destroyed but he's got this view that God's at work and God is gonna do something to bring Jews together and people from other nations together. And that's what this word is all about. The nations will come to you from the ends of the earth. Look around and, and take note of this. This is something that we see here at Beth Israel. People gathered from many different places, many different ethnic groups joining together. And how is it possible at a time when there's such such polarization and so much alienation. There's so much identity politics going on where where people forget that, that God loves the world. And that's why he gave his son. He loves the whole world. He wants to rescue the whole world. So how is it possible that people from such diverse backgrounds can actually want to be together, serve together, worship together, and build strong relationships together. I can tell you this, it's the fruit of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in you will cause you to care about people who are different from you and make you able to connect with them, to value them, and to build strong relationships with them. So it's not that that you just learn some doctrine and you're good at memorizing scripture and repeating things. It's not just that you're the most religious person around. That's not it. It's that you bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. Now, let me ask you a question. It's not a trick question. What kind of fruit does an orange tree bear? Oranges. Sorry, It's not a trick question, it's oranges. What kind of fruit does a lemon tree bear? Some of you are thinking, I'm, I don't know, I don't want to answer this, because what kind of fruit does an apple tree bear? Apples, right. What kind of fruit does a Holy Spirit tree bear? Fruit of the Spirit, right. You see, when the Holy Spirit is in you, not just around you, but you're filled with the Holy Spirit. You bear fruit of the Holy Spirit. And all the good qualities that this world needs come from the fruit of the Spirit. They're all so important. Love and faith and so forth. Yeshua said, you can judge a tree by its It's fruit, not by the flowers, flowers are nice, but not by the flowers, but by the fruit. A tree can look good, but you really know it by its fruit. You may think, oh, it's one kind of tree, it turns out it's another kind when you see the fruit. If you wanna know what a person is, look at the fruit of their life. The Spirit of God in you bears fruit. That's the nature of the Spirit of God. Yeshua said to his disciples, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, the West Bank, and in the uttermost parts of the world. He said that to them, but he said, but first, you need the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit in you brings fruit from you and through you. When God poured out the Holy Spirit on Shavuot in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, it was a new beginning, and it was part of his fix for the breakdown between people groups. Surprisingly, it was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, including speaking in unknown tongues, that brought unity to people from diverse backgrounds, including when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the, the Gentiles in Caesarea. And Peter looked and said, whoa, they've got the same Holy Spirit we've got. Clearly they're acceptable to God. It changed everything. It's part of God's fix for the breakdown between people groups. It overturns the curse of Babel. That's one of the beautiful results of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People of all kinds can connect together. Now as we're growing together in our faith and faithfulness, let's remember our love for Jerusalem and the modern state of Israel. On Monday, May 14th, according to the common calendar, we'll celebrate the 70th birthday of the modern state of Israel. Remember it's not just the Holy Land, it's the homeland for our people. Seventy years ago the modern state of Israel was officially established and none other than the History Channel had a great article on this. I'll quote just one paragraph that summarizes it so succinctly. On May 14, 1948, in Tel Aviv, Jewish Agency Chairman David Ben-Gurion, David Ben-Gurion, proclaims the state of Israel, establishing the first Jewish state in 2000 years. In an afternoon ceremony at the Tel Aviv Art Museum, Ben-Gurion pronounced the words, we hereby proclaim, the establishment of the Jewish state in Palestine to be called Israel. Prompting applause and tears from the crowd gathered at the museum. Ben-Gurion became Israel's first premier. And so on this Shabbat as we're welcoming new members, we're also anticipating in just a couple of days the 70th birthday of the modern state of Israel. It's a great time for us. Let's thank the Lord. And let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, for your mercy. You are the rock. You are our our strong tower, Lord. You are our safety. You are our salvation. Thank you, Lord, that through you and you alone can we have atonement in your righteousness imparted to us. We bless you in Yeshua's name. Use us, Lord, to be fruitful, to bring honor and glory to your name as we lift up the name of Yeshua, that every one of us would be drawn to you. Amen. We're gonna close with Aaron's blessing. Don't forget, at 1230, you're always supposed to get your kids if you have kids. (laughs) The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord cause the light of his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace. In the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Shabbat shalom.